All right, here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. And today we're taking that practice as an athletic trainer and shifting it towards home. Dr. Matt Coots has two grown sons there in college. He is faculty at FIU working with their DAT program. John Seco has a newborn and a... I think, is it, is David four or five? He's five, five, five-year-old. Yeah. So, and a five-year-old and a relatively new dad. I, as you know, have three biological children. I have a 18-month-old foster daughter. And then a week and a half ago, we added a two-and-a-half-year-old foster daughter, right? And so there's always a question is how can we take what we're learning here on the podcast and translate that to the house? How do I take the leadership skills that I would use when working with my students in a professional setting and lead my children or lead my wife. And so last week on the podcast, John talked about, you know, if you want to try and encourage or motivate someone and see how different the styles are, motivate your people that you work with and then try and motivate your spouse the same way. And it just doesn't work. So this week we talk about leadership at home, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash leadership at home. Again, Dr. Matt Coots, like you said, he's got an 18 and 21 year old son. They're both in college. Um, and so we want to hear some of the ways that you have developed that in your kids and some of the ways that uh, you maybe have tried and failed and things like that. So Dr. Coots, welcome back. And actually, um, John and I were talking about this last week and he said it different than I did. How do you say your last name? Coots. Coots? Coots. Okay. I think he said cuts. Last week, no, and I said, "Coot." That was definitely you. you. Like C O O T S is the finesse. So, <clears throat> yep. so yeah, it was probably me that messed it up. It's, it's usually what happens, <laughs> and I'm probably going to do it again now that we've discussed it. No That's worries. Usually what happens. No worries. No worries. All right. So, welcome back again, and I appreciate you you joining us this morning. And John, as always, it's a pleasure to have Absolutely. you, my friend. So, John, real quick, you're you started your MBA. Uh, just give us a, just a brief glimpse of what that's looking like for you. Uh, it's it's still standard scheduling. So I am up at 4, 4.30 in the morning. I get about, if I'm good, I get about two and a half hours of study, writing notes taken before I'm up the stairs to wake up Cece, our, our four-month-old, soon to be five-month-old, um, get her day started. Her we, we try to keep everything nice and scheduled for her and then uh, David wakes up, our five-year-old son wakes up at five, uh, about 7.30 every day. So breakfast is ready on the table, um, you know, get him moving, watch maybe a little TV, talk about the their night they had, well, his night. Um, and then, you know, mom's mom's awake at that time as well. So getting coffee, all those things ready. I'm, I'm, I'm really a, uh, a Mr. Mom in the morning and getting the whole family up and going, ready to go. And then out the door around 8.30 for David to get to school. And then uh, around that same time, Jenny, my soon-to-be wife, is uh, a professor. So she gets her day going. She gathers her notes, lesson plans, things like that. She typically, she didn't do it today, but typically she says, I don't know what I'm doing with class today. And then goes down to our office and um, you know, opens up her books ready to, to teach for the afternoon or the morning. Uh, and then I take care of 
our five month old, four month old, uh, and, and anything that goes on around the house. Once that's done, the afternoon, the morning's done, kind of switch roles and Jenny takes over. I head off to work or try to, you know, uh, get a couple more hours of studying in. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to move through our, my MBA program as quick as possible. So I said my first class in 10 days, I should have my next class done by this weekend, which is another 10 days. Um, I'm, I'm really trying to rip through it. So it's, it's all about prioritizing our days not just myself, but the whole family so that I can accomplish uh, this goal of our MBA uh, to, to help our family. Uh, but in that, it's, it's keeping everything as organized as possible <clears throat> with the kids and, um, you know, sharing duties throughout the day. Uh, so, you know, my priorities become less as her priorities become more important and, and vice versa. So that's a pretty quick glimpse of our day. And then we start all over the next night, next morning. So... <laughs> That's good. And you forgot to mention the reason why you're trying to get there with that MBA so quick is so you can start the DAT program at FIU. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, shameless plug. No, shameless plug. Hey. <laughs> well, if anybody's watching live on Facebook, YouTube, or, you know, later after the fact, then they're, they're going to see your background with their Matt Coots and the FIU logo behind you. Uh, so, all right, Matt, what does leadership at home look like for you? That's a, you know, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, it's because it's, you know, let's not fool ourselves. This is probably one of the most important things we will ever do in our lives. And that's, you know, model for our children, um, consistency, you know, that kind of thing. You know, I, I love hearing uh, John's day in the routine and, and, and what goes into that. I think that's, I think that's, so important to understand that there is there is an aspect of routine to this, but there's also an aspect of intentionality, you know, and even John mentioned, you know, I'm trying to get through this and be as quick as I can so that I can help my family and you've got some goals and things like that. And, and I think that's really, really the core issue for me is the purpose and intentionality of it all. I mean, it's one of the most important things that you can do is be intentional with this leadership. And, you know, to tie it to athletic training quick, just to kind of set us off on the, on the right track from an evidence research-based perspective, you know, which is something I think we always need to be mindful of is, um, and I did some research several years ago with some colleagues where we looked at um, when athletic trainers practice leadership behaviors the most, you know, in what settings. And we actually did what was, we actually did a, a, a a, a decent, a decent survey. It's published in the athletic training education journal. If you want to go there and try to find it, but we actually looked at when athletic trainers under what circumstances, under what conditions, when in their day, are they practicing leadership behaviors the most in their athletic training role or outside of their athletic training role. And one of the things that surprised me uh, quite, quite, it actually shocked me. I still think about it and it still drives even some of the stuff I do today is, is we found out that athletic trainers actually stop practicing athletic uh, leadership when they're not in their athletic training role. And, uh, and, and they actually have a significantly higher leadership intentionality and leadership behaviors uh, and when they're in their athletic training role versus when they're out of their athletic training role. So it's almost as if the athletic trainer has this mindset that, well, when I'm doing my athletic training stuff, I put on my leadership hat 
And when I'm not doing my leadership or my, when I'm not doing my athletic training stuff, I take off my leadership hat. And that's where I think we have to begin, you know, Jeremy, with your question and, and start is we need to understand leadership is not something that we do um, on and off. It's not, it's not a, a, a hat we put on or off. Leadership needs to be something that we are. It's, it's in us. It's innate in us. It drives us. And, and in, in, in scholarship, that's called ontology or the, the ontology is the study and essence of being or identity. And this is something that my wife and I made decisions very early on uh, when we decided to even have, we were married seven years before we even had children. So we were, we were that couple that, you know, it wasn't really too thrilled about having kids. You know, we, we didn't want to have kids. We wanted to to do our own thing. And, and of course life happens and, and we did get pregnant and, and it changed my life for the better. I mean, it's been fabulous and I would never, ever uh, go back and, and want to change that. But, but um, when we started having kids, we realized how important it is to guide them and shape them the way that we think they need to be. And, and I think that's really, really important. And, and part of that is understanding that leadership is something that we take with us everywhere we go. It's not just when we're in this role, not just when we're in this job, it's not just part of a job description, but leadership is something that is inherent in, in who we are. And we need to pass that on to our kids. So we were very intentional early on. We, with my now, I have sons, so I do wanna I do wanna make that 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 very clear because I've given similar talks like this before and actually got quite I why it's a funny story I'll save it I don't want to get make this a political thing or anything but you know I'm talking about my sons and I'm talking about boys so I don't mean to alienate uh, fathers and or of of girls or I don't need to alienate women or anything like that or moms anything like that so please don't misunderstand me. Um, but I am talking about my boys. So, you know, we did early on, we, we were very intentional with our boys and started some programming, some curriculum. I mentioned, you know, offline uh, before we started, you know, we were, we homeschooled for a long time. Um, of course, a lot of that had to do with the, the traveling that I've done. You know, I was a Fulbright in Rwanda, a research fellow in Australia. So when you travel like that for long periods of time, it's, it's hard to get kids in and out of schools and things like that. So that was a big part of our decision, but that wasn't the only reason. Another reason for that was also because I wanted them to learn some very specific things and I wanted to train them and equip them as best as I could uh, to be the men um, that I think they can be. So that that's important for us. We used a curriculum, a, a thing that we really like, or a program we really like called Raising a Modern Day Night. And, um, and which I'm a, a huge fan of, and it involves mentoring boys. You find other men um, who have similar values and things like that. And you, you go through uh, milestones and rites of passage every couple of years, eight years old, 12 years old, 13 years old, 16, 18, and 21. And, uh, and you do these rites of passage um, that are meaningful for your kids and meaning, and you have this uh, a kind of a group and it, it's a very formative process. Americans are one of the few cultures that don't really recognize when someone comes into adulthood and it kind of varies. You know, we, we have the, the thing, the only really thing we can speak of is, well, when you turn 21, you get to go out and drink, you know, well, you know, whatever that's, that's fine. And that's certainly a rite of passage, but, you're an adult before that. And there's a lot of other important milestones that need to be 
need to be mentioned. So that's what that program is about. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And maybe we can talk more about that later, but I'll stop talking and let you guys ask questions. <laughs> right, so again, I'm, I'm not in any way saying one thing, men versus women type thing. This is just a question. You mentioned about the, the leadership and um, putting on and off the hat. And so generally men are the leaders at their home, right? Or, you know, as I believe biblically, that's how I should lead my family. And not that I'm the dictator, but I should be the leader at my house. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if, since our profession of athletic training is, uh, I think like 55 or 60% female, if that affects that study of um, taking off their leadership hat once they get home, do you, did, do you think that played into it at all? I don't, I don't think so. I, I really don't. I think that's a good question, but there are, there are certainly gender preferences and sex preferences when it comes to leadership style and leadership behavior. I really think that that's just, um, uh, the, that find that particular study is more of an issue of how much emphasis our culture and our profession places leader competencies. You know, we're a competency-driven profession, and, and as a consequence of that, we think of everything in terms of a job description, a list of competencies, a list of behavior. So therefore, when I'm in this particular role, I am way more aware. Now, I also think that awareness piece is an important factor to think of because what the study doesn't show and what we can't imply from that is that, well, they stop being a leader when they're not in their athletic training role. What I actually think is going on is they are not aware of the diversity of leadership attributes. And they only think of leadership as budgeting, scheduling, managing, uh, performance evaluations, you know, that's what leaders do. And I'm not doing those things when I'm not at home. And they're forgetting the fact that lead that's more management type stuff. Whereas leadership type stuff is more of the inspiring, the empathy, you know, they're not, not empathetic when they leave the office. That's very much a leadership trait. So I do think uh, it's more about where the mind goes and, and, and the, the, uh, the certain behaviors that we associate with roles. And, and so because of that, I have, I have been on a mission, you know, for the last 10 years at least in helping um, anybody I can get to listen, athletic training and otherwise. And I do a lot of work uh, in corporate culture outside of athletic training as well. So I, I'll get anybody to listen who will listen to me. And that's differentiating and understanding Um, you know, uh, positional leadership versus what I call, or not what I call, but what is called ontological leadership. And I referenced that a minute ago. And ontological leadership is practicing leadership and being a leader because leadership is part of who you are. It's part of your identity. It's something that you desire to do. It's something that you enjoy doing. So it becomes part of your identity as a person. That's an ontological leader. So whether or not they're in a position of authority or administrative position, they still uh, will demonstrate and practice leadership behaviors versus positional leadership, which is what I think that study I'm referring to is, is more about and what a lot of people think about relative to leadership. And that's 
the authority I have or the power I have because of the role that I occupy as the director of sports medicine, as the head athletic trainer, as the, you know, the director of rehabilitation or, or clinical supervisor. Um, and I have leadership roles because of, or leadership behaviors because of those roles. I want people to understand and see where leadership becomes part of who we are and whether you're in that role or not, you are practicing leadership because leadership transcends budgeting, scheduling, performance evaluations, and things like that. It's more about inspiring, motivating, casting a vision, understanding foresight, creating organizational memory, you know, things like that. Those are things that leaders are really doing. And that's how the, how you take it home is understand that that's what it is. You know, we started off the conversation. I think John mentioned, or you mentioned that John said last week, you know, it's different at home. And, and, you know, I, I tell a story all the time that is, you know, some people think it's pretty funny. Some people, people don't, but it's, it's this idea where, you know, if I tried to uh, treat my wife the way that I treat my students, it's not going to work. You know, I can't, I can't lead my wife, lead my kids, lead my community like I lead my students. And, and the story behind that is, you know, my wife and I uh, would all early on, and I mean, we've been married 28 years now. And, um, and early on in our marriage, you know, we were told, or I was, I was pulled aside by older, wiser men, so to speak. And, you know, they were like, you know, at some point in your marriage, your wife was going to come to you and tell you that you don't communicate enough. And she want you don't talk, you know, that whole thing that, so I began to make a plan at that time for when the moment happened. And sure enough, about two or three years into our marriage, it did happen. And um, so I had a plan. My plan was, well, honey, let's schedule time to talk. Let's schedule time to communicate. So we, we made it part of our routine and it backfired entirely because anytime you take something that is supposed to be an outcome and make it a goal, you have to manipulate your environment, artificially manipulate your environment to get that to get that result so communication is supposed to be an outcome of safety security love encouragement empathy when all those things are there communication is a natural outcome or a natural byproduct but when you try to take what that nat what that natural byproduct should be and make it the goal you've got to artificially um, alter your environment and that's exactly what we were doing and and so what we that first time we tried to do that you know, I was like, okay, honey, came home from work and we've got time to talk. We scheduled 30 minutes. Let's talk and, you know, ready, go with the timer out kind of a thing, which is a huge mistake for any husband to do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, so, but she was playing along and, and, you know, the game, the game goes, uh, how was your day today? And I said, oh, I'm thinking, oh, that's an easy question, right? Fine. You know, next question, please. What did you do today? Oh, another easy one. Nothing. You know, and you say those answers and then and then you realize that's not what she's wanting. So you roll reverse and I say, how was your day today? And I get this long story that I care nothing about. Now, I care about her and I love her, but I don't care that she talked to her sister on the phone for 20 minutes and that she did this. And I mean, I, that's not I just want to know, are you OK? Are you safe? Are you good? Did you have a good day? You know, kind of thing. Just give me the thumbs up or thumbs down. And that's a lot of the tension that happens. And so the, the thing that comes from that is understanding one communication is a result of something else, not a goal. That's a life-changing insight, actually, if you think about that. And, and I would challenge anyone who's interested in leadership and leadership development to look at their own list of goals and ask themselves, how many things 
that are on my goal list, my to-do list, my things to accomplish are actually outcomes from, of something else. And, uh, and I would challenge you and I would argue that probably everything on your list is an outcome of something else, which is why we're often so frustrated with accomplishing our goals and, and personal satisfaction, contentment, joy, things like that. So what happens is, is so this, this dynamic began to develop with my wife and I, where you don't know how to communicate. So for years, it was like, you don't know how to communicate. And then, so then I got in, this is when I was doing clinical work. So early on in our marriage, then I actually became a faculty member. And, and, you know, when you're a faculty member, you start getting student uh, feedback, you know, you get peer reviews, student feedback reviews. And, and I remember the day, like it was yesterday, because I was just elated, thrilled as, is I get some feedback from my students that says I'm a good communicator, you know, and, and Dr. Kutz is great. You know, his door's always open and, and he's easy to talk to and he's a good communicator. He communicates his ideas and, you know, so I'm like, I have now proof, you know, that I'm a good communicator. So I go home and tell my wife, you know, I show it to her. Of course, she knows immediately where I'm going with it because she sees right through me. You know, she looks at this and she goes, she goes, this is not the same thing. You know, she laughs, she rolls her eyes. She's like, you're not a good communicator. And she says, and you know, I'll, I'll test you. You know, here's an example. How was your day today? And I look at her and I know it's a test and I still say, fine, you know, kind of thing. And she says, not what, that's not what good communication. And what I begin to realize is this idea, and I use the analogy of currency. And how important it is that we understand that every situation there is, and this is where my idea of contextual intelligence uh, comes to bear in my philosophy of leadership. And that's every situation you're in, every environment that you're in, the people involved in that, each of them require a different currency to transact business. So I could use the currency example. We all know, you know, in America, we take dollars, but if you're in um, the UK, you have to have pounds. If you're in Germany, you have to have euros. You know, if you're in Rwanda, it's francs, you know, in different places. If you're in um, Peru, it's soles and, you know, all the different currencies that are out there. So, so I begin to realize that communication is transacted in several different currencies. So when I'm with my students, my students, the, the communication transaction uh, occurs in dollars, but my wife doesn't take dollars. If I come home and try to give her dollars, she's not, she doesn't take dollars. She's a different country. She takes euros. So I've got to learn to start carrying multiple currencies. For me, that's how leadership transcends the workplace. That's how we bring leadership home. That's how we start working any of these leadership related behaviors into, into our ontological identity into our being is we understand that I've got to carry multiple currencies for all the different leadership transactions that I'm being asked to do. Same thing with my kids. And we were, you know, we also were talking before the show started, you know, it's like my two sons are as different as night and day. It's actually scary how different they are. Uh, but it, especially considering that they grew up with the same parents in the same house, going to the same schools, same church, same neighborhoods, same grant, same rules, same reg, you know, everything. And, but yet they're so completely different. And, uh, and I've got to learn to carry different currencies, even with them in terms of training them, disciplining them, encouraging them, all the different things that parents have to do 
um, you know, if we still do everything the same all the time and treat every situation the same, we're going to make some big mistakes. So one of the quotes from Dave Ramsey, he, he talks about, you know, he's a, I think it's type A or whatever it is, but he's like, you know, I, I have no problem making a decision. And if I don't like that decision, then I can just make another one. No big deal. Whereas right. my wife, she contemplates decisions and thinks and goes back and forth. I'm like, just make a decision. It doesn't matter. <laughs> just do it. But it's not that easy for her. For me, it's just like, All right, yeah, cool. Or, you know, I'm here working with Sophia and she's like, you know, what do you think here? And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is what I think we should do. And then we do it instead of saying, well, what do you think? Or what were your thoughts? Why don't you go ahead and take the lead on this one? That kind of thing. So does that make me being a decision maker does that make me a leader or not um i think you know leaders have to make decisions okay so that's one thing for sure i mean i think it was george w bush who said leaders are deciders you know and already made up some strange word that he like he used to do (laughs) but um but yeah so there certainly are there's certainly an aspect of of leadership that requires decision-making. But what we have to be careful not to do is assume there's a certain personality that's better at making decisions than other personalities. You know, I'm again, you know, looking at, looking at um, some of the popular literature and research on things like that, you can quit the efficiency and the speed in which you make a decision does not necessarily make that decision a better decision. Uh, there's plenty of cases out there where people who were decisive, okay, so you're talking about being decisive, can make a decision quickly, make bad decisions, and people who are less decisive make better decisions. So the quality of the decision notwithstanding, there are, um, there are, there's a, a, a myth to that, I think, that leaders are decisive, but I will say leadership leaders do have to make decisions. Now, whether or not that occurs quickly, very decisively, or whether or not that takes a longer period of time is, is up to the individual, up to the personality of the individual, up to the organizational context. Sometimes there's a tremendous sense of urgency around the decision and it needs to be made right away. And there are other, so there are certain people more suited for that than others. So in hostile environments, in rapidly changing environments, in an emergency, I mean, let's go to the emergency action plan, right? I mean, let's think about our our own profession here. Um, if there's an athlete unconscious with a suspected C-spine injury on the down on the field, um, you're not going to call a committee meeting, you know? And 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 let's say, what should we do? And take a full history and try to wake them up. Well, we can't we can't move forward until we, we were always told to take a full history, right? I mean, that's one of the things we do. Well, he's unconscious. Well, we're going to wait till he becomes conscious then, or we're going to try to physically, I mean, that's that you'd be out of a job the next morning, you know? I mean, so, so obviously that situation dictates something specific. Whereas when you're deciding where should we go for lunch today, it's a much less urgent situation. You have time to weigh your, uh, you know, weigh the possibilities. What are the considerations? We haven't had this lately. What do you feel? You know, because it's not an emergent or urgent situation. So context dictates that as well. And, uh, and, and that's where I think leadership, that's where the real trick of leadership is. You know, for me, that's where, that's where I can look to see if someone's actually a leader or not, is 
how quickly do they recognize what the situation requires? And that takes discernment, you know, and, and a level of a level of awareness that some people just, well, no, all leaders are decisive. Well, yes and no, you know, kind of a thing. So, so there are decisive natures, but again, the context dictates that, personality dictates that. There are times and situations where you don't need to be decisive or where decisiveness is a detriment. And the real issue for me is, do you recognize when that is? And can you adjust when you need to adjust? To me, the epitome of good leadership is adjusting when you need to adjust. You know, we talked about decision-making and, and how, uh, you know, your partner would go about deciding and doing things. Jeremy, I think we're the opposite here in my house where I'm the person who has a full out laid out decision tree regarding most things. And Jenny is the, she's going to make a decision and go with it, win or lose. And whether that happens, she's going to, she's going to make that next decision. Drives me nuts. It drives her nuts when I take too long to make a decision, but it's, it's having the humility too, especially in our household to say, I can't make this decision because I'll overthink it. And then you know, when she goes about making a decision, it's me trying to even her out. So it's both of us trying to even each other out so that it's never a, this is always my decision. It's never, you know, I'm always, I'm never going to be the person who's always making the decision. It's, it's a partnership and we're working together, you know, mostly for our kids and how we go about certain things. I think if, you know, with my decision to, to resign and to go back to school, that was a long drawn out decision. It wasn't a, a snap decision that I made, you know, a, a month ago. It was something that has been in the works. It's something that I laid out decision trees and wrote about and thought about, you know, and, and, and it, was, it was looking at the foresight of what was going to happen with my career and my position and knowing that I needed to change, you know, that was the decision I made, but it definitely wasn't a decision I made by myself you know, making that snap decision probably wouldn't have been easy for me or, or something I would have been able to choose appropriately. But having a partner that kind of evens you out, that challenges you with those skills uh, is, is something really important that that we do. And, and it's something that we do at in our our work as well. You know, Jeremy, you have a, a coworker that you most likely will have to discuss decisions, discuss you know, rehabs, things like that. And what you're trying to do is even each other out to make sure that you're making the right decision. Uh, you know, having that, that black to the white or the yin to the yang is incredibly important because you want to make sure that you're, you're challenged, that your thoughts and ideas are challenged to, to ensure that they're the correct ones when you do make that decision. And that's an incredibly important thing to do as a leader, both home and at work. You know, it's it's funny, John, because you're absolutely right. And and I'll throw in another another scenario is so in my house, my wife and I are both very decisive, which leads to a lot of sparks. <laughs> we we actually have quite a, um, I would consider it, and I would I would be I'm proud to say you know very healthy, uh, happy marriage. But but um, one of the, I will say this one of the things we were thrilled to learn early on. Uh, in our marriage is that the frequency and intensity of fighting does not indicate the quality of the marriage. Uh, we were happy to hear that. 
And that's research from um, John Gottman out of University of Washington. He has some great, great, great stuff on on the dynamics of, of partnership and living together. But what what the issue there about the quality of that is is how quickly you can resolve those issues. So so we are very intentional with that. But my point is, she's she's very decisive, very driven, has a a, a powerful personality. I'm very decisive. Uh, have a powerful push so that that you put it's like ironing sharpened iron anytime you sharpen iron you know with iron you get sparks and uh and so we actually have the opposite problem where we need to kind of to need to encourage each other all right let's let's think through this before we just yeah let's go to rwanda <laughs> you know let, let's move to rwanda you know it's like we've got young kids and you know i'm, I'm the guy you know, people always ask me how long you've been married and, you know, I said, well, you know, 28 years in human years, but if you calculate that out in dog years, it's like 160 years. So we've been married 160 years in dog years because I'm the guy that will walk in the house one afternoon and be like, hey, um, let's go to Rwanda. I applied, by the way, I never told you, honey, but a year and a half ago, I filled out this Fulbright scholar application uh, for Rwanda. I never mentioned it because I never was going to get it. You know, it was just a whim. I decided to fill out one day and, and do this. Not one day. It's actually a very arduous, long process. But but to any rate, yeah, it's like I never really talked about it. Cause I didn't think I had much of a chance and to get it. And lo and behold, uh, so I got it. So uh, we have to go to Rwanda like in three months, <laughs> you know, and uh, and uh, by the way, um, you know, we're going to need to sell the house and do this and do that. And I'll be gone. So you're going to take care of it. And, you know, so when you live life like that, you know, the, the years, the years multiply very, very quickly. But she does similar things and and we're like that. So it's a lot of fun in our house. But but you're right, and there's a there's a lot of opportunity to learn to be a better leader. You know, when you're in situations like that, to learn about personalities, to learn about the differences uh, in the houses, like we were talking about differences with the kids, and then you bring kids into the equation, that changes everything. I mean, you just think you get your your routine the way you want it, and then kids come in and 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 mess, and then but but not because it messes it up, it's because you genuinely your values change, you know, and people disagree with that. And, you know, values are supposed to be these things that are eternal things that don't change. Well, that's nonsense. Um, values change, uh, values are transient and, uh, and, and they change their importance. You know, one of the things I would, I would have told you, uh, when I was a kid, if you asked me my most important values, I would have, family would have been there for sure, but I met something different by family then that I do now, you know, and, um, and I would have said family back then because, well, it's the right thing to say. And, you know, I don't want to be, a, a, you know, a jerk and that kind of thing. So, of course, family is important to me. But none of the decisions that I ever made when I was 16 or 17 years old revolved around the impact on my family. It revolved around the impact on me, you know, kind of thing. And then now, but now when you ask me the same question about my values, I'll say family also, but I mean something completely different. And now, and that's what I mean by our values are transient. You know, they, they change and the priorities of those values change as the context and situation and life changes. And that's another thing that I think leaders do better than other people is they begin to recognize when values are changing, when certain things uh, have shifted. And, and, you know, I'm a big fan and, you know, I've, I've you know, I've, I've written a book on contextual intelligence. We've talked about it on on this podcast and other podcasts. And, and a big part of that 
is is understanding the nuance in life and this what I call the contextual ethos and understanding how different things shift and adjust. And the wise leaders among us recognize those factors and those shifts and and they look at the little changes in nuance, the little changes in meaning, and they begin to understand how that impacts um, their decision-making, their leadership, their environment, their community, their job, their workplace, and all the different spaces that that entails. And that's one of the things leaders have to be able to do. And that's what, you know, kind of you're alluding to, John, when you talk about, you know, we don't take decisions. You know, I, my wife does decision-making this way. I do decision-making that way. But then you find a happy medium in the middle. And I'm sure you would say, or people would say, you know, well, and that's depending on the situation. In certain situations, again, then the roles flip, uh, certain context uh, situations and environments that we're in, uh, the rules are a little bit different. And recognizing when those rules are different are is, is to me the epitome of someone who practices leadership the way it should be practiced in a contextually intelligent manner is, is understanding when the metrics have changed and the rules for success have changed or are changing. Um, we're in a global pandemic and recovering from a global pandemic and things like that. I mean, the rules that we got used to are certainly changing. And that's very, very disconcerting for some and not so much for others, you know, and watching that take place and sitting back from uh, is, is actually, you know, scary and comical at the same time of, of who's freaking out and why they're freaking out, who's not freaking out, why they're not freaking out and all the different things that are going on. But one thing is for sure is that the rules are changing and the dynamics of play uh, are switching and we need to be aware of that. We need to look, look at seeing how, how are these changing rules going to affect the way that I interact with life and with people. That's what a leader does differently. Managers don't do that. Administrators don't do that. Managers and administrators by default, their go-to strategy or their go-to tactic is what do the rules say? What's the policy? What's the procedure, right? Uh, and they go to a decision tree. They go to a, a list. They go to something established. That's not the wrong thing to do. It's just one way to do something. That's the management approach. The leader approach is going back and, and reappraising the situation and looking at the policy, not to see how do we implement this policy in this new environment because it can't be done. What a leader will do is how do we take this policy and make it applicable to the new environment that we're in? That's a huge difference. And I think that's something that we, that's one thing we can do to take things with us. You know, the theme of what we're talking about is how do we make leadership a holistic part of our life and not just a role or a position or a job we're in. And I think we can boil that down to differentiating management from leadership. And I don't want to, and I don't want anyone to read into what I'm saying and saying that leaders are better than managers or management is less important than leadership because that's simply not true. Uh, if the world had only leaders in it, it would, it would fall apart. We have to have managers. You know, we have to have people who, who think things through and, and know outcomes and have, have done the research, knows what the policy states. I mean, leaders are the people who are like, well, I don't care what the policy says. We're going to do it this way. You know, or this is what we need to do. And they always have ideas and great ideas and new ideas. And there's never any follow through. There's never any implementation of these ideas. That just frustrates a lot of people. You know, so, so management is as important as leadership. But we do need to recognize 
that they are different. And I think that's kind of in any rate. So I, I'll, I'll pause there and let you guys correct me or, or add to it. So at home just recently, you know, like I said, we have a two and a half year old foster daughter and she's learning to potty train. So we ordered a, this really cool toilet seat that has a built-in uh, child seat, you know, so the, the normal size adult toilet seat, but then kind of hidden in the, the lid is the pull-down child seat. And so one of the things that I did, because last week you talked about leadership is caught, not taught or whatever. It's like trial and error. You have to be trial and error. And so I said, yeah. hey, son, my oldest son, I was like, hey, why don't you go open up that box, look at, you know, whatever tools we need, and then I want you to install that toilet and I'm going to sit back and, and be there to help you, but I want right. you to do it. And for me, that's one of those leadership wins is because I'm giving him a chance to use a knife to open up the box, to read the instructions, to gather the supplies, to make the decisions, to do it. And, and that's one of those times where I feel like I win. But with the, with our foster daughter, the two and a half year old, we're learn having to learn so much of what, how she interacts and you know, she's a typical two and a half year old and, and throws fits and you tell her no. And then she's got this big, Wah! and that like sets me on edge. And it just, it takes me out of that place where I can think well through these decisions. But what I've noticed is when she does that, she needs close contact. She needs me to hug her, not right. to step away or, or put her in timeout for that. She right. needs me to pick her up and hug her or to get down on her level and hug her. And so that right. goes back to what you're talking about, recognizing, recognizing, yeah. am I going to lay down the law and say, no, we're not throwing fits in this house and you don't throw a fit and get what you want. Or recognizing this kid came from trauma. This kid right. needs this reassurance that we're going to be here. This, right. this is how she processes right. and you know, kind of balancing the, the thing there. And so it's, it's really tough for me to do that because like I said, I'm a decision maker. I'm, I would say a more authoritarian type leader where it's like, nope, this is what I said. This is what we're doing. Done. Right. And so I really appreciate the repetitive theme of recognizing yeah. being a really good leadership trait because that's what I'm just now learning to do. And that's why I love these conversations so much is it's about recognizing and then, then making the change. It's, it's really important to, to recognize what like you said, it recognize the best. It's, it's recognizing or understanding the context of the environment that you're in right. and that that environment will and can change at the drop of a hat. Um, we, you know, I, I'm the decision tree person in my family. And when I switch and turn to the decisive, you know, decision maker, it, changes a lot in our family. Uh, we, we had um, issues with our daughter where she was uh, constantly vomiting when, when she would eat. And it was tough. It was really tough for about a month and a half. And, you know, it, it, there was a situation where she, she threw up and um, we, were, we were in the middle of something, but I, I turned into that decisive decision maker and I started I was like, I barked the orders. I was like, get the towel, get this, do this, do that. And it threw my fiance off. Like it threw her off so much where she was like, how are you good at your job? When you, when you shout at people, when you do that, how, how do you make decisions in a stadium full of 2000 people? And I'm like, I, you know, I, at first I got upset. I'm like, what are you talking about? What, how do you, how do you, how can you judge that? And then I thought about it more and it was like, 
yeah, those are two different things. And I, I changed the way I went about it. And when I'm able to understand that she changes the way she goes about certain things, it makes it a little bit easier when we work together. Uh, but it's, it's, it's understanding the context of the environment and how things change and how things change so drastically so quickly. And you have to be okay with that, with right. the other person. Um, and, and with that, it's, it's how do you use those managerial traits and skills along with your leadership traits and skills? You know, my mannership, my manager skills really shine when it's, you know, getting the, the, the breakfast ready or getting the, the things ready in the morning or doing the milk, doing the coffee. Those are, those are skills that I can do really well. Repetitive shines during repetitive makes right. Yep. And, and my leadership skills, I hope are shining when, you know, I'm, I'm setting that tone of I'm waking up in the morning to do this. I'm showing prioritizing, you know, of this, this is important to me because it's important to us. And then letting that go at a certain time and then refocusing on that. It's, it's showing and having those traits uh, kind of shine throughout the day mm-hmm. and not, you know, putting a big sticker on it, a star sticker and saying, this is when I was a leader and this right. is when I was a manager. Right. It's, it's just kind of going about those things and knowing in yourself that, I'm taking a step back at this moment, not as a leader, as more of a manager of our family. Right. And then in other moments, I'm being the leader in setting the tone, doing this, doing that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that your partner has to step back into the manager role or step into right. a different right. type of role. You can right. both be leaders at the same time uh, and go about things right. very different. Well, that's, that's an insight, John, that I think a lot of people don't understand is the way that American culture in particular understands leadership, it's a top dog kind of a mindset. We think of leadership as ascending a ladder, you know, like climbing the ladder kind of thing. And the consequence of that is that well, only one person can be at the top. And we think of the leader at the top, you know, we just have that common metaphor. And I think you hit something that is critically important to understand leadership in the VUCA world, and the VUCA world is the volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world that is our new reality. And leadership in the VUCA world allows for simultaneous leadership. That's like, that's like to switch from, from Newtonian physics to quantum physics. You know, it's like, wait a second, it's like a round earth to flat earth, back to flat earth, around earth, and wherever you're at with that now, it's re- funny to me, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's a major paradigm shift paradigm change that you can actually have simultaneous leadership being exemplified at the same time Um, and if you that's true in your clinical practice it's true in academic world you know uh, even though there's only one head athletic trainer there's only one program director there's only one ceo etc that doesn't mean leadership um, is reserved for those positions only multiple people can be practicing leadership simultaneously and in fact should be in a healthy environment like you said in a healthy relationship uh with your fiance and 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 in in any relationship you need to allow for both of you can, can manage and both of you can exemplify leadership but when you step out of character it kind of throws everybody for a loop for a minute like you mentioned which is totally fine that needs to happen every once in a while but that's what leaders do they recognize 
the shift that they recognize, all right, this is a frustrating situation. This is like the fourth or fifth week in a row now with this bombing. We need to intervene. And, 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 and you recognize those kinds of things. And like I said, the context matters uh, dramatically. So I think that is something, another key thing that has come out of our conversation. I think people need to realize as a fundamental aspect of, of leadership in the world today is that it can happen. Um, it can be shared, you know, simultaneously, you know, and not that everyone is always a leader to the same degree or the same level all the time, but there certainly are opportunities when leadership can be happening. And it's not my job to be the leader and your job to be the follower. Um, we lead and follow each other. It's mutual submission, you know, kind of a concept, which I think is, it's an important thing to understand. And when you allow for that, I think it's only healthy um, and it creates, and it, not only that, but it creates the diversity that we need in our thought process and our thinking. It introduces uh, opportunities for different kinds of, of, uh, of options, which I think is important as well. I wanted to say, you know, as I'm, I'm looking over, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, the, the, uh, when management shines. And I think this is something else that's important. You know, you mentioned, you know, my manager really comes through when we're making the breakfast and planning this and, and the research on this is overwhelmingly consistent. And that's simply this management thrives the best in predictable routine situations. When a problem has happened before the best intervention is management. That's why we talk about managing injuries, right? Because no injury has happened that's never happened before. You know, an emergency action plan is going over things that have happened before in order to mitigate those from being severe this time. So, and that's where management shines. When, when, it's, when problems are repeating or when problems are reoccurring, the best intervention is sound management, okay? No question about that. If you find literature, you know, that's the literature is clear. Here's what's interesting. When the situation, however, is novel and it's a brand new and it's something that hasn't been seen before or hasn't been seen in quite a while, then the best intervention is leadership. And because leaders bring kind of a different perspective uh, to how to evaluate things. So, for example, if something hasn't happened, in a long time and you have a policy for it well the policy is moot because the policy was created for something that used to happen and we only ever create policies when we begin to notice routine behaviors well we need a policy for this we need a procedure for this uh, but when there's an absence of that then the policy is irrelevant so when you try to apply something irrelevant uh, to to something that's brand new it's not going to work so you need to have leadership uh, in those situations. So in, a, in the routine, reoccurring problems, problems that are consistent and predictable, management is always the best intervention. When you're in a situation or a world like we mentioned a minute ago, the VUCA world, where emergent is the rule, where things are emerging out of nothing, where you don't know the cause and effect of a situation, where something seems to be brand new, it's a problem that we haven't seen before or in a long time, then the best intervention is leadership and the skills that a leader would bring to that. And uh, so that's one thing I wanted to say. And the last thing I wanted to say is going back to the issue with, with kids, you know, and something that my wife and I have learned 
is this idea of, of raising kids. You know, Jeremy said a minute ago, you know, he's kind of more um, authoritarian by nature, which is, you know, which is, which I think is true for a lot of people. And, you know, but we don't like to admit that because we, we associate, you know, tyranny with that. And that's, that's actually a false, a false model to, to fall to. But, uh, but, but, you know, I want to point out the fact, one of the things that I do in my research, and one of the things that I do when we talk about contextual intelligence is understanding the appropriate use of power. So going back to this nuance thing, going back to recognizing the situation thing, is I, I want everybody to understand that it's okay to say, do this because I said so, you know, and, and, and the reason is now my, my caveat to that is in the right circumstance or right situation. So let's bring kids, talk about kids here. When my son is three years old and we're sitting out, you know, uh, at the fire, you know, at the campground or whatever, and we're doing whatever, we're having morals and marshmallows, making s'mores and, and I'm starting the fire you know, and he, and he goes to reach for the fire. He wants to grab a log off the fire. I'm going to, I'm going to go into a certain protection mode and my autocratic authoritarian style is going to come out loud and clear. I'm going to yell and I'm going to say, stop, you know, or if they're about to run into the street, you know, or something like that, I'm going to yell, stop. And it might be against my nature and character, but it's certainly very appropriate in that situation. And then when they stop or they reach for it and they, and they want to have an explanation as to why can't I touch this daddy or why can't I do that? The answer is going to be because I said so. And we are not going to debate, debate about this. And this is not something that is up for discussion. You are not going to grab a log off the fire. And that's the final word, whether you might want to or not, you know, kind of a thing. And that's very appropriate for that age and that situation. Now, back up 15 years later and my son is 18 years old and we're sitting around the fire and goofing around and doing whatever we're doing and he goes to reach for a log on the fire i'm gonna look at him and say go ahead idiot try it you know same father son same fire same situation but you know but you see how you, you treat that completely differently because now because i said so it's not going to work anymore and this is the lesson that I learned. That's the example I'll use. And the lesson that I learned from that is as your kids grow and as your team grows, as your environment grows, as your staff you're working with grows, you know, ver a, this works for a new hire versus a veteran, a novice versus a seasoned veteran. And, and you know, how you treat them, you know, I, John Maxwell said, you know, one of the cardinal sins of leadership is treating everyone the same. It's also true for parenting. It's also true for community. And, and, you know, we want to treat everyone the same. It's laughable. If I treated every white, every woman, the way I treat my wife, I would not go well with me. You know, I mean, they're, you know, for obvious reasons, I mean, I, they're not, you know, those kinds of things, same things with kids and all that. So as your children's, as your children grow and as your team grows and develops the techniques that you use with them early on, do not translate into later on. And you've got to adjust your techniques as well with them as they mature and as they grow. Because if I went and treated my 18 or my 20 year old right now, the way I did when they were four or five, 
guess who I'm the one that's wrong in that situation. You know, I'm the one that's, that's not thinking clearly, you know, it's like, I can't, I can't expect them to, because I said, no, you're not going out tonight. Well, why not dad? Because I said so, you know, I, I have no, I don't have that. I don't have that anymore. Now, hopefully if I've done my job right. And I say, yeah, Nate, I really don't think it's a good idea. You go out tonight. You know, you've got two exams in the morning. You've got to be, get up and work at 6.30, whatever, you know. And he asks me why I say that. Well, you got two exams. You did this. Last time you went out, you know, you weren't, you know, you didn't come back to, you know, whatever. And this kind of thing. And, and reason with them. Hopefully, if I've done my job, he'll at least consider, weigh that heavily in his decision, you know. But when he's six years old and I say, yeah, no, you're not going over or sleepover with your friends tonight. And they say, why, Dad? It's because I said so, because I don't want you to, you know, and that that's good for that time, but not good when he's 16, 18, whatever. So our techniques have to change as well, and our strategies have to change. And so many parents and so many leaders don't want to do that work. They don't want to do the work of because that means I've got to learn new skills to be efficient and effective. If I change my techniques and I want to raise adult kids and work with and, and have a relationship with adult kids versus, you know, adolescent kids, I've got to learn different techniques. I've got to learn different skills. I've got to grow. That takes work. And I, I'm ashamed to say there's quite a few leaders out there who don't do that. And they just use the same techniques with everybody all the time, no matter how much experience they have and how our culture and our society legally and stuff like that tries to go that way treat everybody the same and and the rules are the rules for everybody but that's actually not true we don't believe that in any other part of our world or existence why should we apply it to those as well so i i drove a standard for probably like the first four years of my adult life and i never really was able to shift from first to second to third without some sort of like uh, some not necessarily grinding the gears, but it was just never super smooth. And I think that may be some of the same issues. I have an 11 year old and I have an 18 month old and making that transition from no oldest son, you can't do that because I said so to the 18 month old. No, no. Right. It, for me, just making that because they're in the same place at the same time, probably doing something at the exact same moment and just just being able to find that shifting of gears smoothly is just, it's a struggle for me. Just like it was when I was driving that, you know, standard Volkswagen. It just, I I got to keep working. Well, the first thing you got to tell kids is that life's not fair. I mean, that's what I told, that's what my dad told me. Because kids will notice that, uh, Jeremy. They'll actually notice, well, how come he gets to stay out late and I don't? And how come he gets the explanation and I don't? Because, well, first of all, they're different. This is different. And this is not for you to have an opinion on, you know, so you've got to explain the whole situation, the whole reality of life kind of thing, which, like I said, a lot of conversations with my dad when I was that age about life not being fair, um, you know, and the fact that you think it is just means you're living in a la la land in the first place. But uh, let's fix that together. And then my dad was very intentional about that with me. And same thing with my kids is to realize, you know, those kinds of situations and be able be able to justify for yourself, why did I say no to this one and explain to this one? You got to understand that the context matters. I mean, that's that's my, I, I, like I said, I'm an evangelist for this. Everywhere I go, you know, context matters. 
the 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 repetitive nature and and the and the the things that you're looking for um, as far as uh, feedback and the different metrics for success that we talked about you know those are those matter those are what drives our decision making our leadership and and if we don't understand that the situations and routines call for creative input every time we're never going to be creative we're always going to default to the management technique or the policy says or the rule is this you know i mean again from an hr perspective a classic example that comes up a lot and i've used this example before is you know everybody gets three personal let's just for example in this fairy tale world of ours you know well everybody gets three sick days or personal days or paid pto you know paid time off and um and you know we use ours as various things and all the end of the year and and some traumatic thing happens at home i mean a, a real a bona fide tragedy right and you go to your boss and say, hey listen i need another day off this tragedy happened and they're like yeah no sorry you can't you use all your you use all your vacation days you're screwed sorry you know you can't have it you know i mean where's the human the humanness in that the humanity in that you know it's it's like that's a different situation and it and but well no the rules say because we don't want to get sued because we don't want to have trouble with hr you know well no everybody sorry you just nothing i can do my hands are tight it's not personal as business, you know, statement. And that, to me, that's the ultimate cop-out. That's cow. To me, that's cowardice. That's cowardice. You know what? Give the person the extra day off because you're a human. And then when the other employees, sorry, I was going to whine and cry about it. I was going <laughs> to use a profanity. Uh, you know, when they complain and cry about it, then explain why and just have your reason and stand by your guns and don't worry about it. And then let, let the right thing be the right thing, you know, and that's, that's what I think is, is, is missing um, in a lot of our leaders today. So I'll leave it at that. And All right. Let, I, the, hate, let the hate mail come. <laughs> John has put his schedule in the show notes and he's got like every 30 minutes blocked off. So there's probably like, uh, what, seven times, I don't know. So from 4 a.m. until 1.30 a.m., he's got, way, he's, he's yeah. got something yeah. scheduled. So, John, do we still have time in your schedule to continue this podcast? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what else have you got for Dr. Coots? Uh, what's your favorite resource to implement leadership skills within your family? That's a great question. Um, so we're readers, you know, here, you know, one of the things, you know, so I never gave my kids allowances or anything like that, or, you know, they had to get jobs when they were 14, you know, I'm, I'm that jerk dad, you know, and, and I know that's a philosophy. This is how we did it. And I'm not saying this is how everybody should do it. But, um, but when my kids needed money for different things before they had their jobs and things, uh, they had to read books. So their allowance structure, fee structure was based on how many books they read. And I picked the books. So if my son needed 10 bucks to go to the football game or something like that, high school football game, I would walk up to my office and I'll show you my, I'll pan around here real quick. You know, so, you know, I've got a big library of books and things like that. So, and I'd come up here to my office and I'd grab one of those books off the shelf and I'd say, read this. 
and uh, and yeah, I'll give you ten bucks when you're done, and you give me a report. You're going to give me a report on it. So, so as far as one single resource, I don't know that I have one, but I've got a big library of of books, and I think that's important. So, you know, we do a lot of conversations around the table. We we my wife and I, you know, old fashioned as that might be, um, even to this day, with my boys being adults, uh, they're still living at home, so they eat dinner at the table. We we don't. There's no electronics at the table. Uh, we sit at the dinner table and we eat dinner together at least four nights a week, you know, around in a traditional family who's saying grace tonight to the whole thing, you know, and, um, and that's how we do it. And I think that's a big part of, of uh, my wife and I would say that's a big part of our success. And we do consider ourselves successful parents. We've got two great kids. Um, time will still tell, you know, I'm not naive enough to, to realize, you know, to, uh, to say the end of the matter uh, on on the issue, but so far, you know that's one of the things that I think has worked for us. So so the resource is time. I guess that's what I would say. The resource is, is time, and and you have to spend time with your kids. I mean, there's to. I mean, I think it was um, John Maxwell or Jimmy Evans or or one of the things. You know, we there was a, a movement a few years back about well, quality time versus quantity time. You know, and, and there's no, and the, the interesting thing is, well, quality time to kids is spelled T-I-M-E. You know, that's how you spell quality time. Um, so it is quantity. Uh, quantity trumps quality, I think. And, and that might be counterintuitive and it might not make sense, but, but everybody who I know has worked out is like, no, you got to spend time uh, with your family. And you mentioned it too earlier, John, you talked about modeling, you know, you were basically describing modeling the way, which is a real popular leadership technique. You can't really model the way for your family, for your team, for whoever it is you're leading, unless you, unless you spend time with them, they have to see you doing it and they have to see you doing it consistently. That's the other thing pointing to one time in your history where you did the right thing and using that as the example that you want your kids to learn from or your community or team to learn from doesn't cut it. You've got to point to 20 times where you did the right thing. And in order for that to happen, they've got to see it. And it's, so it's got to be consistent. So consistency relates to time. So I know that's probably not the answer you were looking for as far as a single resource or something like that, but, but that's, that's where I would, that's what I would say. I think that's good. It's, it shows that you're intentional which goes all the way back to what we originally talk, right. talked about as right. a leader it is showing the intentionality of, of what you're doing. Um, there's definitely, I, I don't always say, follow me and do exactly as I do, but I'm hoping that what I do model does, you know, show a path of, of how things can be done. Right. And I have to be okay with my family not following as well. Right. I have to be okay with everybody doesn't have to wake up at four or five in the morning. Everybody doesn't have to do this right. first thing in the morning. Right. Those are just the things that I choose to do in my opinion, hoping that that'll help my family that day and you being know, okay with it changing. Here's the other thing too, that I think is important because, you know, you just sparked a real uh, a push the button for me when you say, you know, I don't make them do how I do. It. And I think that's absolutely true. They don't have to be a mini me and do it how I do it. But I do want them to follow me, you know, and, and, and do it the way that, that I want them to do that the way that I think it needs to be done. But I don't mean rules and procedures and regulations. I'm not going to prescribe how this looks for them. They need to discover how that looks for them. 
And one of the ways we can do that, because I do make mistakes, you alluded to it too. It's like, well, there's certain things that I don't do. And I think one of the most important things that any leader can do at any level at home and at work is own the mistake, you know, because that's how you model it. So we're talking about modeling the way and modeling leadership, modeling this. Yeah. I want you to do the things that I do well also. And I want you to, you know, but I also want you to recognize that I don't always do it right. And I think that is the big thing to take away there. And so I am very, I have been very intentional with my kids. And if you ask them, they will tell you, you know, that, that dad, um, when he makes a mistake, owns his mistake, apologizes for his mistake and actually says how, uh, if I had to do it over again, this is how I would do it different. You know, and I apologize to the kids. I apologize to my wife. Uh, and not just when I get caught, you know, I'm always, always when I get caught, you know, of course you've got to repent and apologize too. But, um, but also when you notice, yeah, that didn't work out the way I wanted it to, instead of making excuses for it, which is the leader's default, because, you know, we want to be right. We want to be decisive. We want to show certain qualities. So we tend to make excuses for things instead of just saying, you know, owning the mistake that you made, um, and taking responsibility for that. Cause that's one of the things leaders do differently than a lot of other people. And a lot of other things is they take responsibility for the outcomes of their decisions. And part of that includes not just taking the praise, but also taking the brunt, you know, and, and of, of any mistakes that are made. And I want my kids to know when I've made a mistake, I recognize I've made a mistake because that's a huge leadership trait for us. I feel like we could go on and on with stories again about how we've done well or poorly with yeah. leadership at home. Uh, I think it's, it's a really good place to wrap it up. Uh, I, I mentioned Dave Ramsey. That's something that we also teach at our house. My son has been the slide clicker or whatever it was for when I was teaching the course at my house. Um, they, you know, give, save, spend, that kind of thing. They see us doing that. We discuss how and why. I, I think the one thing I'll take away is recognizing is, is like the key word. So if I can mm -hmm. recognize that my level is inappropriate, my volume needs to change my, my tone or tactic, then from there I can move forward and, and just being okay with sometimes I'm not going to. So if I can right. recognize, then, then that's progress. And, I'm doing better as a leader than I was, if I can just recognize. So um, any last words of wisdom, yeah. thoughts before we- The mistakes we make, yeah. You know, you just said it. the mistakes we make, you know, you said you gotta be okay and comfortable with the mistakes we make. And, and, and that's true, but it's only, I believe that it's really only okay if you own it. So for example, it's like, all right, I know I'm not going to do a perfect job every time, right? We all know that. So we tell ourselves, hey, be okay with mistakes, right? Well, that becomes this business mantra, leadership mantra thing that I think people misunderstand and to the point where it's like, well, listen, I did my best, you know, so sorry about your luck. I did my best. That's not what we're talking about here. Because being okay with mistakes is important, but it only works if you recognize you made a mistake. And I think that's really important. So, so I want to go back and really reiterate, yes, we are going to make mistakes. 
yes, we need to be okay with making mistakes, but it only becomes beneficial when we acknowledge we've made a mistake to the people to who noticed it, you know, who are affected by it. So for example, it's like, you know, Hey guys, listen, I know that we did this thing as a family or whatever, and, and dad didn't really handle that right. You know, so I want you to know that I recognize I made him. That speaks volumes to your kids. That speaks volume to your team. Uh, and this, like I said, this works not just with your kids, but it works at the workplace with your with your colleagues and your and your departments and your teams that you're on as well. So listen, I didn't handle that the way I should have handled that. And 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 here's what I've learned from it. So the amount of credibility that you get, the amount of influence that you get when you do that is 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 priceless i mean you can't put a price on that and you'll get people who will follow you for the rest of your life if you'll do that john what book are you reading for your masters right now uh operational management it's not a very uh, sounds like fun intriguing book as i typically <laughs> read it's it's more sad than the typical sad books that i read anyway so <laughs> organizational organizational yeah. life yep i i do want to end with one thing and and hopefully this is a something that's you know appropriate for this conversation and, and we talked about being intentional as a leader and uh, with your family and, and your everyday life i think if you have intentionality in both of those you can really use that skill set in in both your family life and your in your daily life. And um, I'm going to read something. It's a poem, and and forgive me if I don't make it all the way through it. It's a it's a short poem, but I, I found this um, prior to the birth of my daughter. And and when we talk about intentionality as a leader and intentionality with your family. It's something that I go back to kind of every day. Uh, and it's not just with my daughter, but it's, it's with my son too. And, and how I, I think about our leadership and, and the poem goes, I will love you unconditionally, always, no matter what. I will not pamper you. This will forge a resilience that will help you conquer all of life's obstacles. I do not intend to raise a princess, but rather a warrior with fire in her heart and ice in her veins. In my mind, there is nothing you can't do, no job or goal beyond, beyond your reach. And this is where I talk about intentionality. So this part of the poem, it goes, I will challenge you so that you can stand confidently on your own two feet, independent and strong. I will set the example on how to treat those you love so that when you choose a partner, it will be someone who lifts you up. I will invest my time and energy in you so that when I am gone, Enough memories of me will be with you in your heart to keep forever. Stand tall with your shoulders back. The world is yours for the taking. So that's the poem I kind of think about with the intentionality of both, you know, leadership at home and, and at work. It's, it's setting that mindset and that mission and having those values uh, to, to practice those skills in, in both settings. That's, that's beautiful. All right. So last time we had Dr. Matt Coots talk about his website. Uh, it's drmattcoots.com. No, it's mattcoots.com. It's matthewcoots.com. There you go. There you go. Matthewcoots.com. There you go. So it's, it's again, if you're looking at Facebook Live, it's on there. But it'll be in the show notes. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash, what was this? Uh, leadership at home. Sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash leadership at home. And that'll 
have links to Matt and then John is also going to repeat Twitter. So you can make sure you find him on there. Uh, John Seco on Twitter, or you can find me, Mr. Jeremy Jackson, but my contact information is all over sports medicine broadcast. Um, and again, if you got stories of your leadership at home, how you've made the transition, or maybe John's story of resigning from the athletic training job to focus on something else that allows him to, to change that priority, uh, or change that, was it priority, not priorities? Um, you said it. You said it during the middle of the talk. Change. You're shifting your values. Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. So the yeah. You're shifting your values. Um, then you know, share that story with us. Social media. I don't know. Send us a, a short video story, something like that, and um, that way we can share in your story as well. So reach out to Dr. Matt Coots on MatthewCoots.com or John Seco, or me, on any of the different ways you can get hold of us. We always like to talk about myotech when John is on here. Again, as you're talking about priority and values and leadership, and it just, it's really good. It's always it's always fun to talk to Paul over there about one thing or another. Um, good guy to talk to, just, he, he cares about people. So if you haven't checked out myotech and you're in a secondary setting, then feel free to reach out, check them out, send them a quote. Um, most of the time here in Texas, you're going to have to have a bid if they're, unless they're a sole source provider, but give them a shot. See if you should add them to your, your bid list or not. Sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash leadership at home. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash leadership at home. For Jeremy, John, Dr. Matt Coots and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap. Thanks. Thank you. It's the kind of stuff we could talk about forever.